This is a family feel, so I want to be part of the family. Is that okay? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, pastors, for the invitation. It's a great honor. From when I walked in, I was felt the hospitality was amazing. I can tell there's a family of unity here, and where there's unity, there's strength, and where there's strength, there's freedom. And where there's strength and freedom, there's reconciliation for people who don't know Jesus Christ. Oh, man. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. You know, um, I'm from the great nation of Texas. <laughs> Hence, I'm wearing cowboy boots, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> yeah, so um, I grew up in uh, South Texas, uh, San Antonio, Texas. Um, I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, great people, great church, love people. I didn't, it wasn't for me. I didn't get it. Never had a personal connection with God. I really admire some of the things that they do, that, how they build the, the, the service around communion and stuff like that. And it's actually the revelation of communion that's brought me into one with Christ and given me salvation. And, and I had this madman named Jesus inside of me, and he just wants out today. Is that okay? Yeah. And I get a little emotional, and I get a little bit worked up, but, but it's because, man, I've been saved from so much. And I'm not a Christian because my parents, I grew up in a Christian household. I'm not a Christian because it was a thing to do in my environment. I'm a Christian because five years ago, I encountered the love and the presence of God. And I can't be convinced otherwise. And I can't think about anything else. You see, there's got to be a time that we come to in our lives, especially as young people, that we're not just Christians because our parents bring us to church. We're Christians because, man, we're convinced that his love for me transforms everything. And that's available today. It was available 2,000 years ago when he said yes by dying on a cross to give us life and partnership with God. So I want to preach a message today. Um, I have a beautiful wife at home. We uh, actually live in Omaha, Nebraska. When I left there, it was about 10 degrees Fahrenheit and about five feet of snow. And I come here and it's like Texas and I'm okay with it. Heat doesn't bother me. You know, but um, on the second day we were here, uh, the people we're staying with, they came and said, hey, Carlos, uh, tomorrow's going to be 44 degrees. I'm like, great, I can wear my jacket. <laughs> and then they meant Celsius, and I was like, okay, I, I can deal with it. I can deal with it. Yeah, so um, it's an honor and a privilege to be here, man. Oh, I love Jesus. Does anybody love Jesus? You know, can we just give him a shout of praise real quick? Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a little message today, you know, and it's a central theme of what changed my life. And I'd actually feel indicted, and it'd be criminal for me to preach anything else today. I really feel my heart. Um, man, aren't you free? I mean, aren't you just like so glad that we don't have to offer sacrifices once a year and bring bulls and sheep and goats to sacrifice on an altar to get righteousness? Aren't you glad that Jesus came as a propitiation for sin once and for all and was a perfect sacrifice to put us back in right relationship with the Father? Aren't you glad that we're in a better covenant now that comes with better promises? Aren't you glad that we don't have to live by this thing called works, but we're saved by grace through faith? Aren't you glad that we're in a new covenant that's empowered by grace and not by our works? I mean, think about this. Aren't you glad that we're not justified by our performance, but we're justified by faith in Christ's performance? You know, my Bible says that, you know, the handwritten requirements of the law were steep and heavy against me. But they've been erased, having been nailed to the cross that Jesus Christ died on. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing to be under a reality of grace and not the law anymore, right? 
It is. It's the most amazing thing. And I can have confidence to tell you today that today, this message I'm preaching is the most important message you will ever hear in your life. And I can confidently say that because it has nothing to do with me talking about it. It's the message itself. This, what I'm going to talk about today, is why Jesus died for. And if we don't get this big rock in first, all the little ones won't fit anyway. So this is what it is. This is what it means that Christ, and this is Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? What does that equal? How do we experience that? How does Christianity not just become about us doing things, but about becoming someone new and imparting that love to others? So we've already talked about, man, we just said right now that we're not under the law, we're under grace, and everybody says hallelujah, amen. Man, that we're free from sin and the life to righteousness, amen. Man, that we're not under the covenant of the law that puts burden on us, but we're free through the law of grace. Amen, man. That's why I'm alive today. But I have a question to ask you before I ask you another one. What is the greatest commandment? It's not a trick question. What's the greatest commandment? Love God, thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, yeah. I used to believe that too. I used to believe that the greatest commandment was to love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? Because Jesus said it. Open up your Bible, it's in red letters and it says that, right? But how many of you know context is everything too? Context is everything. You see, that scripture can be found in Matthew chapter 22, Verses 34 to 36. If we can get that up, I want to talk about something today. Context is so important, guys. It's so important. Let's just get to it. This is Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40. And this is Jesus. And he's among all these Pharisees. He just gets through talking to the scribes and the Sadducees about resurrection. And then these Pharisees come, and they gather around him. And let's just read it. This is out of the New King James Version. I, I encourage you to read it in your own Bibles. It says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees gathered. Then one of them, a lawyer. Somebody say a lawyer. It's a lawyer of the law. It's the head of religious guy who knows the old covenant Judaic law by heart. He studied it. He's a lawyer of the law. His job is to convince you that the law of God is awesome. The old covenant law, right? So it says this. A lawyer of the law asked him a question. Somebody say testing him. So this, this Pharisee comes to Jesus to test Jesus, right? Context is important. Then he asked him a question saying this. The Pharisee, the lawyer of the law, asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers him according to his question. Oh, in the law? To love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, strength. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. I opened up by asking how many people were glad and satisfied. They were satisfied by grace and not by the law. That were not 
here for our works, but through the law of grace that sets us free from our work. And everybody says amen. But when you ask normal Christians what's the greatest commandment, they give you the law. They come to test Jesus. Jesus came to bring a new revelation of grace, a new covenant, right? New wine, not an old wineskins. These religious people who are under the law try to trick him and ask him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? How many of you know that we're freed from the law through grace? Yes. So Jesus just says, oh, in the law, I'm answering your question accordingly. In the law, this is what it is. But we see it as red letters in our Bible and we live according to the law still, even though we say we're saved by grace. How many of you know the law was meant to put a burden on you and to show you you can't do it by yourself. It's the reason the whole old covenant law was there, and that's why Jesus had to come. The old covenant law did three things. It, it, it revealed the severity of sin. It showed you that you couldn't accomplish it on your own, but it pointed to someone who could, Jesus Christ. I had to bring this message today. Because we have people that are in church that love Jesus so much. And I'm not saying you shouldn't love Jesus. I'm not saying you shouldn't love Jesus without your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. But what I'm simply saying is that you don't have to now that he's died and God's love has been represented in your life. You shouldn't have to be commanded to love God now that Jesus is coming down the cross. We get to out of response. It's not a list of do's and don'ts anymore. It's like, man, you did this for me. How could I not help but to respond to love you with all my heart, my body, my soul, and strength? Yeah. Hear me again. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't try to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and strength. I'm just saying you don't have to be commanded to now. It's a natural response out of his love for us. Yeah. But the church is held, paralyzed, because we're here trying to fulfill something that we could never do. And then the book of Galatians is written and it says, how have what you've earned by grace, you guys trying to walk out in the flesh. Who's bewitched you to think that? We have freedom in Christ for a reason, for freedom's sake. But if we try to love God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, man, you're going to get tired, burned out, never appreciated, guilt, shame, and condemnation, because no matter how well you do it, it's never enough. And that's what the whole old, old covenant law was meant to do, was to expose the fact that you can't do it by yourself, but you can put your faith in someone who can fulfill it, which was Jesus Christ. That's exactly the whole thing we're saved from. We're justified by faith apart from works. But when you put faith in the real thing that sets you free, the works will be amazing. When I first started coming to church, man, I was at every worship thing. I was on the worship team. At Bethel, I was on the worship team. And man, and I did everything I could to show that I love Jesus, man. I would fight traffic two hours to get across town for rehearsals. I would feed the homeless every day. And when my head hit the pillow at night, I was under the burden that I didn't do enough. But I really wanted to love Jesus. God, I want to love you, but the more I tried, the more it condemned me, and the more it showed my inability to do so. And actually, it actually disconnected me more from Jesus. You guys okay? I'm sorry. I'm getting somewhere. This is the hopeful message. This is what Jesus died for. 
You see, I come to realize that in church there's two types of Christians. And I'm going to go to John chapter 13, verse 23, and I'll show you how. You see, in John chapter 13, verse 23, if you have it up, I know I didn't give it to the projectors. I'm sorry about that. But um, follow me. This is actually a, a good breathing story. It's a funny story. I'm, I'll make some comedy out of it. I don't want to be heavy all day. But I, it's important that we get this revelation. So in John chapter 13, it's the Last Supper. Everybody knows it. And it says this in John chapter 13, verse 23. It says this. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Church, who was the disciple whom Jesus loved? What book is this written in? Who wrote the book of John? So John wrote about himself in his own book that he was the one whom Jesus loved the most in some translations. No, John, man, that's arrogance. I mean, dude, if you do that in church, you get kicked out. John wrote about himself in his own book that he was the one whom Jesus loved the most. You know, some people call that arrogance, but maybe that's just humility. Maybe humility is just agreeing with what God really says about you. In spite of what people think. In spite of people's insecurities. But in that place, we can minister to that insecurity. So they're at the Last Supper. John, the one whom Jesus loved the most was laying on Jesus' bosom. And Jesus drops a bombshell. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And everybody imagine looking around, who's it going to be? You know, Peter's like, oh, it's probably going to be John. John's like, no, it's probably going to be Peter. You know, and we have two different types of Christians sitting at that dinner table. John, the one whom Jesus loved, but then we have Peter, the one who loved Jesus. And Peter asked John in the very next verse, ask Jesus who it's going to be. And we know what happens. Jesus goes, whoever I dip this into and give it to, and it was Judas Iscariot. You see, John was at the table, and he had a revelation of how much he was loved. Peter, if we take his testimony throughout Scripture, he tried to love Jesus, man. He tried to call down fire on the village. He tried to walk on water. It was all based on his performance to love Jesus, right? Man, he uh, denied him three times just shortly after here. Fast forward that uh, the next night, Jesus hanging on a cross. The Bible says all the disciples get scared and they scatter. But only one disciple makes his way back to the cross to minister to Jesus right before he dies. Who's that? John, the one whom Jesus loved. Peter had just denied him three times. Remember that conversation? Peter's with Jesus, right? Right after the Last Supper. Where are you going? Where are you going, Jesus? Oh, where I'm going, you can't come with me. But I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll never betray you. I'll never betray you. Why? Because I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, you love me, really? By the time the rooster crows, you deny me three times. No, 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 no Jesus. That'll be John. I love you. <laughs> but like I said, the crucifixion happens. One disciple makes his way back. It wasn't the one who loved Jesus. It was the one who knew him. No, knew he was loved. See, when you walk out these doors today, you're going to be one of the two. You're going to be someone who loves Jesus with their heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And at best, it's going to leave you guilty, shame, condemned, and a, a line of desperation and separation. And at worst, it'll make a killer out of you and religious, and people will hate you. 
Think about it, Paul, right? Sorry, not Paul. Saul of Tarsus. He loved God. He was radical for God, and it led him to kill Christians. But when he got knocked, at the, knocked off that horse in Acts 9, he got a revelation of God's love, and then we're two-thirds of the New Testament. Maybe the biggest revelation we need today is not that we can love Jesus. It's how much he loves us. Because loving Jesus the, with our heart, mind, body, and soul comes out of response to how much we're loved first. You see, I asked us earlier, what's the greatest commandment? Everybody gave me the greatest commandment in the law. And yes, Jesus said it. It's in red. But it's out of context. It's not for believers today. It's fulfilled when you put your life in Christ. Because it makes a way for God to love you. And by byproduct, I can fulfill all the commandments. You know, if I'm honest, before I had understanding, I pray every night, God, make me more patient. Make me more kind. Anybody ever been there? And God said, Get some reality in you. Get a revelation. Become love. Love is patient. Love is kind. So instead of praying for the root to become something, be transformed by love, and that's a byproduct. You guys okay? I'm telling you, this changes everything. You know why? Because Christ didn't go to the cross to demonstrate how much we love God. It was for God so loved the world, my Bible says. The greatest demonstration of God's love for us that can't even be questioned hung on a cross so that we could have peace with God now. Look, man, if you want to love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength and exhaust yourself, awesome. There's no grace for it because you're not made to do it. You're made to put your faith in the one who completed that and as a byproduct, as a response, man, you'll love God without even having to be commanded to. You'll heal the sick without having to be commanded to. You won't look on another woman with covetousness because you know how much he loves you and you see so much value in your wife. You see, Christianity is not a sin management program. It's not behavior modification. It's actually dying to an old nature, receiving a new one, where there's grace to fulfill those things with ease. That's why it's called grace. One of two ways you're going to walk out today. You can love Jesus by your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And let me ask you, how's that working out? It's something you're not designed to. And like I said, please hear me. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to love God by your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. I'm just saying you don't have to be commanded to knowing that he loves you first. Right after the Last Supper, Jesus meets them again. And he says, I give you a new commandment. <laughs> I give you a new commandment, he says this. This is John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. What's the prerequisite to love someone? Being loved first. You want to love your, your neighbor that complains about your lawn and you're not cutting trees? The, you know the unlovable neighbor or the boss? You know how to love them? You receive God's love, and it's just a byproduct of what they get. It's an overflow reaction. I don't try to love my neighbor. I get to because I'm loved first. I don't got to read a book about 41 ways to forgive somebody because it says who is loved much will forgive much. See, I don't have a disconnect with forgiveness. I have a disconnect with the love of God that doesn't allow me to forgive. We're able to love at all, it says in 1 John 4.18, because he first loved us. You can't give something you don't have. 
It's tiring. It's exhausting. Because it's not a law issue, it's a heart issue. If the laws would have worked, we wouldn't need Jesus. Get this, guys. I wish somebody would have told me at your age because I spent so much time doing church gymnastics trying to please God when I was already pleased with him when I said yes to Jesus. See, we fight from a victory in Christianity. We're not fighting for it. That's the most important truth because it's already done. It is finished, it says. You guys okay? This is called repentance. We're changing the way we think. Like I said, the whole, the whole reason for the Bible is to point to a Savior, even the Old Covenant. But like I said, Jesus didn't go to the cross to prove to God how much we loved him. He went to the cross to prove to us how much God loved us, that he was willing to bankrupt heaven to get us back in right standing. Is this tough for anybody? It was tough for me at first, man, because I was really keen on earning this by my own works. And when I did good for God, I'd take the glory, and when I failed, I'd take the burden too. And that's no way to live. That's not everlasting life he talks about. Maybe I'm just the only one. <laughs> this is the most important thing. This is what Jesus died for. This is the revelation of the, of the Bible. Jesus came to represent the nature of the Father. In Hebrews 1.3, it says he's the exact representation of the Father. Colossians 1.15 says he's the express image of the Father. John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. He's the exact representation. That'll annihilate a lot of healing theology right there. Is it God's will to heal? Did Jesus heal everybody? Yeah. He's the exact representation of the Father. What else do we need? That's another subject. <laughs> Man. Oh, man, we have one obligation in life, and that's to wake up and be loved by God. Because we can't love our neighbor the way we're commanded to if we don't receive his love first. We love at all because he first loved us. That's what scripture says. In the old covenant, you were commanded to love people, but it only exposed the weakness that you couldn't do it and that you turned to someone who could. But in the new covenant, on this side of the cross, we live by grace, and that's just a byproduct of being loved by God. See, I don't have offense issues to my wife. I'm loved by God. My wife is not created to meet my need. He is. That's why it's a covenant of three people. I'm loved by God, so no matter how far my wife falls short, I'm not projecting on her because I'm already satisfied here. And I can also offer mercy over grace, I mean, mercy and grace over triumph, over judgment. We don't have to work so hard to love our spouse. It should just be a byproduct of being loved by him first. We don't got to live fearful because perfect love casts out fear. You don't need 21 ways on how to avoid fear. No, you need to embrace love. Christians don't have a fear problem. We have a lack of intimacy problem because if we experience love, fear would just go away. Not in the equation. We're not battling darkness. We're embracing light. We're not trying not to sin. We're embracing righteousness. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he died for. This is it. This is the big rock. If you put this rock in first, everything else will just fit, believe me. But if we spend time exhausting ourselves, trying to put in these small and middle rocks, the big one never fits, and we wonder why the Bible never works. See, this is not an addition to my life. This is my life. And if you understand how much God loves you, you'll read scripture, scripture a lot different now. 
We have a beautiful opportunity today, guys, to live the rest of our lives entertaining how much God loves us. That's the gospel. If you don't get that revelation through the cross, you'll try to work for something he's already provided by grace. You know, um, I have the honor and the privilege of, of flying around the world. In the last 16 months, I've probably done about 250 kilometers on an airplane all around the world. And um, God has used me in tremendous ways to see people get physical healing. And um, people say that I have a healing ministry, but I don't have a healing ministry. I have a loving people ministry because I know how much I've been loved. And that power is just a byproduct. I don't have a healing ministry. I have a loving people ministry. Sickness just keeps popping up and I keep pulling the trigger. See, I don't heal the sick to prove I'm a son of God. I heal the sick because I am a son of God. I extend forgiveness not because I've been commanded to. I extend forgiveness because I know how much I've been forgiven. I know that I had a past and he erased that, nailed it to the cross and gave me Jesus' life. Can we ever have a bad day again? It's not logical to have a bad day when you're in the kingdom of God. Because you've given your life away. You know, sometimes I scare some churches and I say, hey, I'm t today I'm preaching on martyrdom. And people freak out like, oh, they run out the door. <laughs> preaching on martyrdom. And I tell people, it's a scary message if you've already co-crucified your old self. <laughs> what are you afraid of if you're already dead? Dead people don't sin. Dead people aren't afraid. Have you ever been to a funeral and tried to scare somebody in a casket? It doesn't work. <laughs> boo, boo, boo. Doesn't work. They're dead. But so were you the day you said yes to Jesus. The Adam in you died and you became a new creation. That's another powerful message called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you guys okay? Man. I have some notes here and I'm totally off, but... This is, the, this is the most encouraging message. This is what makes it good news. That I don't got to perform to be right with God. I perform because I am right with God now. You know, some people have a misconception that I'm going to church to get right with God. No, 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 no. You got right with God the day you put faith in Jesus. You come to God because you are right with him already. So when you sin, you're not running. You run to him. Man, this is... This is what Jesus died for. When he was on the cross, he was thinking about us understanding this this morning. Because I'm telling you, you can preach everything outside of this and it's going to exhaust you. If you get the big rock in first, man, I'm telling you. Freedom, everlasting life. Everlasting life is knowing him, the Bible says. When you know him, you know his love. If you're struggling, if you're struggling to love someone next to you, whether it's your boss or somebody at work that you can't even do anymore, the problem's not them. The problem is not your ability to love them. The problem is that you're not receiving this love that just bypasses and covers that. Man, I used to read all those books about 21 ways on how to forgive your neighbor. And the Bible gives you one way. He who has loved much will forgive much. My problem is not the education on me forgiving or the steps, the tools. All those, those can be okay. My education is that I need to be loved and see how much I'm forgiven. Because, like I said, we can't give what we don't have. You want to love your wife? 
Be loved by God. You want to be a good husband? Be a good bride. <laughs> be intimate with the bridegroom. Loving our wives, loving our neighbors, healing the sick is all byproduct of being with him. You guys okay? You guys are awfully quiet. <laughs> Maybe I should have preached on eschatology or something. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man, I love this revelation, man, because I don't got to perform for his goodness. I perform because he sees me good. He's already declared me holy and blameless and above reproach. That's our starting point in Christianity, is him being pleased with us. So that means we don't have to come to church every day for forgiveness. If you have sin, yes, confess it. But sometimes what I used to do is come every week with my whole new bag of sins and drop it off at church. And forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness. But the revelation of the cross isn't offered the forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. It offers the revelation of living forgiven. Because if you embrace living forgiven, you won't have a lot to confess. I'm all for confessing your sin. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But if you embrace what he paid for in righteousness, you won't sin a lot. You won't have a lot to confess. Because you're looking onto righteousness. Like I said earlier, Christianity is not about avoiding sin. It's about living onto him. And there's no sin in that equation. I'm not preaching perfection. He's already perfected us. And the more we revelate on that, the less you won't have to make an excuse to sin. He set us free from sin. Not to sin freely. Grace doesn't empower you to sin freely because grace is amazing. Grace, if you have the revelation of it, empowers you to live righteously. It empowers you not to sin because you know how much you've been saved from. I don't got to wake up every day and fill a sin quote on my life. Oh, well, I got to sin sometime today. I'm in love. Are you kidding me? I'm in love, and if I sin, I'm like, you know, God, that just wasn't me. I forgot who I was, and I thank you that your mercy and your grace speaks a better word about me. And I'm going to agree with that and continue walking in that direction. Oh, my gosh. This is what makes it good. This is why I'm a Christian. Because I don't got to live condemned. I don't got to live guilty and shameful anymore. Romans 8 said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Why? Because you've already been judged righteous the day you say yes to him. Condem when you feel condemned, you're believing in an accusation saying that your life is worthy of judgment. The day you say yes to Jesus, you got judged righteous. So any accusation that comes against you is a lie. And guess what? That's what the devil does. He's a jerk. Call it what it is. Heaven knows that you're pleasing to God, hell knows that you're pleasing to God, but they're trying to keep you working for it. So you never walk in the fruit of it. And you can show up and you can raise your hands and sing all the amazing songs and still not walk in the reality of freedom that you sing about. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what enabled Paul to go through the persecution, the stoning, stoning off a cliff, shipwreck, all these things and still glory in what was ahead and not what he was going through. This is the reason why he never got to Rome until he did. <laughs> no, it's funny. Read Romans 6. He's on, 
He's like, man, I wish I could get to you. I plan to get to you. But his whole way, he was making his way to Rome, but he said, I'm indebted to the barbarians and the Greeks because I have a message of freedom that they need, and it doesn't enable me to get there. Like, I'm running across too many people who need salvation, so I can't get to Rome. And it's leading me this way and this way. But how did Paul get there? As a prisoner. It wasn't the way he prayed about, but he got there. <laughs> they were going to let him free in Jerusalem. Don't worry, you're a citizen. Walk off. No, 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 I appealed to Herod. <laughs> no, I'm guilty. I need to go to Rome. And he got a free ride on a prisonership. I don't know, that was this tangent, but, but it's God's love that gets you through that. God's love is not determined by our circumstances or how people treat us. God's measuring stick for his goodness is not what we go through in life. It's the finished work of the cross. Nothing says I love you more than that. How much time do I have? Okay, 15 minutes. Great. Okay. Are you guys encouraged? I'm telling you, man, you got to walk out of here and play Christianity. You don't got to walk out of here and do things. You got to walk out of here and be it, be it. We say do, do this and do that, do this and do that. No. When you become something, that wish list is already filled. This is a great message because it takes the burden off of us. And we get equally yoked with Jesus. Amen? God. Man, Jesus, thank you, God. You know, before I got this revelation, I struggled with addiction. Struggled with pornography. I was in church, though. I was serving. I was doing the list. And please, serve. Do the list. But do it because you're a free person. Serve out of freedom. But I was in all these different sins, and I was, man, God, like, why am I still in this sin? And why am I doing these things? And I go to church six times a week, and I'm spending more time at church serving than I am at work. And I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm burdened. And then when I figured out that he loved me first, I embraced that, and all those things just fell off overnight. See, deliverance doesn't have to be theatrical. It doesn't have to look like wailing on the floor. It can but deliverance is just a realization of your love story you were created for. You're designed for one thing, for the love of God. Everything else falls in place. Financially, everything. People are like, well, how does that happen financially? Okay, I'm loved by God. Bless me. See, when you're loved by God, you shine at your work and you get a promotion. The boss would be like, I don't know what it is for you, man, but your quality of work is amazing. You show up on time. You don't make excuses because you're loved by God. You're doing everything you are unto the Lord in response to what he's done for you. And then promotion, favor. So if you're broke today, man, just be loved by God. I know it sounds generic, but it works. It works for me. <laughs> oh, man, thank you, Jesus, that you love me, God. And it's not because of my performance, but it's because of Christ's performance, God. And I thank you I'm able to run well and perform well because I understood what Christ did for me. So what's the greatest commandment, guys? To love others as God has loved you. You only experience everlasting life in that equation. Otherwise, you're putting yourself under old covenant law. Jesus died to free you from. The law wasn't bad. We just weren't able to produce it on our own. 
Romans 8.3 says, For what the law couldn't do in itself, because we were weak in the flesh, Jesus, God did by sending Jesus to condemn sin in the flesh. I put my faith in that. Grace is really that good. It allows you to do something you couldn't do by yourself. That's the very definition of grace. That's it. Take a picture. Text it to all your friends. And tell them, I'm not trying to love God with all my heart, body, soul, and strength anymore. I get to. It's about all I got. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to do an activation if it's okay. It's going to be uncomfortable, but get over yourself. I got to preach in skinny jeans. <laughs> if I can get everybody to stand up real quick, that would be amazing. It's going to be short, painless. If you're an introvert, act like an extrovert. Okay, so what I want you to do. Part of the reason why this is not a reality is because we don't confess this over our lives. Part of the reason why we don't encounter God's love is because we don't know what he says about us. This is not a prophetic activation to get a word of God for somebody. But what I want you to do is partner with someone you didn't come with. Someone you don't really know all that well. So, like, don't get with your best friend or your husband. If you could just, like, take two minutes. Get with somebody in the congregation that you've never talked to. Can we do that? Partner up. And do it quiet. Ready? Go. With someone you Please, in the next two minutes, okay? This is what you do. You're going to turn to the person that you looked at. And I'm pretty sure you already introduced yourself. But look in their eyes. Look in their eyes. Seriously. Turn and look in their eyes. <laughs> shh, shh, shh. Okay, look in their eyes. Okay. This is what I want you to do. I want you to think. You're not going to say anything yet. You're going to think. Look in their eyes, really. And ask God what he thinks about them. You're not getting a prophetic word. I'm not telling you to tell them, oh, God says you're moving to Africa to be a missionary. No, no, no. None of that. No, no, no. But, but, but what would God say about them? Or what is he saying? It could be you're lovely, you're precious, priceless, beloved. You're the one whom God loved the most. Don't tell them. Just say it. I mean, don't say it. Just think it. Put it in your mind. Put it in your mind. This is going to be so cool. Look in their eyes. What is God saying about them? Don't say anything. Not yet. Okay. Shh. How many of you guys do not, didn't get anything? Raise your hand. It's okay. I'll help you through it. Okay. Just do it again. Look at them in the eyes and say, God, what do you love about them? They're a good mother. If they're loved. They're people of peace, that you bring joy. Adjectives that describe them, that they're wanted, they're not forsaken, that they have favor. All these things that God would say. Shh, don't say anything yet. Don't say anything, don't tell them the word. Okay, how many guys still need a little bit of help? Oh man, you guys are mature Christians, amen. No more milk for you guys. Okay, this is what I want you to do. Everybody look, at, everybody look at me. Okay, how many of you guys honestly think that, man, that was, like, God really loves this person. Raise your hand. Like, like you, like, felt like God, like, wow. Okay, this is what I want you to do. 
that word you got is not for them. It's actually for you. So what did God say about you? Because you know what? No, 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 listen. It's really easy to get a word about what God says about somebody else, but we never ask God what he thinks about us. And the whole registration of his love is to confess what he says about you. How many people were like, wow. He loves you. He loves you. And because of things that you heard right now is why we serve, is why we fulfill the commandments. See, the biggest revelation we need is that God loved us first. And everything else is a byproduct from there. Everything else just happens. You want to be a good son? You want to, I mean, you want to be a good father? You want to be a good wife? Be a good son and daughter. You want to be a better boss? Be a better son. Are you guys surprised by your words? That's what God says about you. I hear a lot of people saying, man, the devil's really telling me this. I'm like, well, flip it. He's a liar. What does it matter? I can't hear the voice of God. You hear the enemy? Yeah, all the time. Why can't you hear God? Because <laughs> it sounds like you? Well, guess what? You have the mind of Christ. What if the good thoughts you have about yourselves? What if it probably was you and it could be God? Now that you're in union with him, what if it's really God and it could be you? He has good thoughts about his children. It's represented the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to get Pastor back up here. It was an amazing privilege to be with you guys. I'll stick around for ministry. If you need healing in your physical bodies, I would love to stay and partner with you and see Jesus get what he paid for. Thank you guys. It's been a blessing. I love you guys.